Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Welcome back, everybody, to the show. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about underrepresentation of cultural diversity in fitness, but also in topics of like motherhood and mental health and pelvic health. And so we're going to dive right in. My guest today is Rena. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Rena. I am really looking forward to kind of, you know, diving into this conversation because I think certainly, um, you know, underrepresentation of cultural diversity has been like a hot topic you know, this year. And, um, you know, I, I personally would like to learn more specifically how you've experienced it and kind of gain a sense of what that looks like, you know, specifically for fitness and, you know, motherhood from, from your perspective. So I'm looking forward to chatting. Me too. Let's begin with like, tell us a little bit about you and like, tell us, I guess, like, what was the journey or the motivation that got you into the fitness world? Well, I'm not going to take up too much time. So I'm going to keep it quick. It's going to, it's going to be relatively short. So I did have a exciting career in corporate event management for close to a decade. And about that latter half of that career, I started teaching group fitness part-time at a big box gym and I fell in love. I was already going to the gym, you know, a few days a week because back in my twenties, I could go whenever I wanted, um, pre-kids. And so I, I loved it. I became a group fitness instructor and I did that for almost six years. And during that time I transitioned into motherhood and going on to maternity leave from a corporate job that ended up um, letting me go while I was on maternity leave. We, I ended up staying home as a primary caregiver to my son. And that was six years ago now. And my husband is also an entrepreneur. He had just opened his first restaurant at the time. And so we thought it would be better for me to stay home. And I wanted to experience motherhood beyond the one year mark with my son. And eventually I got the itch to do something more. And I ended up getting into personal training. So I started training clients in their homes. That evolved to me renting space at a gym where I was seeing clients one-on-one there. And I was also teaching group fitness at local gyms at the time. And then when COVID hit this year, I pivoted my entire business online. Yeah, that's definitely the key word of 2020, pivot and online, right? Um, I (laughs) swear, like, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy how almost exponentially fast we've all had to change and, and grow due to necessity. Um, Absolutely. But it also shows how we are capable of doing such things when, when we need to do them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the one thing about the human species is adaptation. We certainly would not have made it this far um, had we not had that uh, amazing, you know, brain capacity to adapt 
in our environment. So I want to talk about, you know, so you're in the fitness realm and I want to talk about like underrepresentation because it, like not that many people other than the typical kind of Caucasian, um, you don't see that in media. And I'm just wondering, you know, like how is that negatively impacting women, especially of South Asian descent? Um, you know, like what is your experience with that? And how did you see that play out in the fitness realm, being a fitness instructor or, you know, just being a fitness person and not seeing that representation? Yeah. And I think this can expand into outside of fitness as well. And I think we're a lot more aware of it now. Uh, growing up, I never saw anybody that looked like me. And, um, you know, exercise and fitness was never really a thing that I grew up with. Um, I didn't play sports growing up. It just wasn't something that South Asian girls were encouraged to do. You know, the goal was to study, get good grades, get a good job, all that stuff. And when I started in the fitness industry, I didn't realize how much it was impacting me. Looking back now, I can understand why I felt the discomfort that I did and why I had such a need to want to fit in. And it's very apparent now it's because I was the one that stood out. And so imagine, you know, me coming into a studio with 50 people in it. And I was the only person of color and I was the one teaching. And, you know, that's a huge step for somebody like me, but also like, I was like, where is everybody, you know, like what? And so this narrative has always been a part of my life. And I know we say 2020 was a big year of revelations. Um, there's a little bit of grief in that for me as well, because people like myself, um, and, you know, I don't know if you follow Chrissy King on Instagram. She has been talking about uh, the lack of diversity and representation in the fitness industry for years. Mm. And she is somebody that I've learned greatly from. Um, and over the years, I've had many conversations with business groups that I've been in, you know, like entrepreneur groups that are focused around mothers and women um, and people who are organizing conferences. And diversity was always something that I felt like I needed to speak up on. And because people question, like, well, why aren't you going? You know, we'd love to have you, you know, attend. And I was like, there's nobody here that looks like me. I cannot relate. And there's a great quote and I, and I, and I don't have it word for word, but it is along the lines of until you see yourself represented, it's really hard to imagine yourself in that place. And so that's why Kamala Harris being where she is, is a huge step for women of color, because now we can see ourselves represented. We can see that this is something that is achievable for us. And that has been lacking in media and fitness and any industry really. And because fitness is where I live, um, I, I focused in on being the leader because there was never anybody that looked like me. And I was searching for leaders at the beginning of my journey, you know, on Instagram and I never found them. And so I was always trying reaching. I always felt like I was reaching to other people who are popular, especially in Toronto, in the fitness industry who are white. And the response was never the same um, you know, when it came down to the content that I was putting out or the the topics that I was speaking on. 
And it was frustrating because it's almost as if I wasn't even being seen. And that is a big thing um, when you feel like you're not seen. And so I decided that I'm going to screw it. I'm going to be the leader uh, that because I know I'm good at what I do. I have my niche. I have my expertise. And you know what? Quite frankly, there is a whole population of South Asian mothers out there who need to know that there's somebody out there who understands what they've been through from a cultural perspective and, you know, is representative of them and their journey and is here to help support them um, as they continue forward with, you know, whether it's gaining strength again in their bodies or just feeling good in their bodies postpartum. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I think it's amazing because I imagine it's not, hasn't been easy to, to take that step into being that leader. Right. Uh, And as you were saying, you know, sort of feeling like you were trying to fit in. So you were trying to mold kind of as best as you could into the current sort of narrative. And, and I can imagine that's very challenging and exhausting to try to, you know, be something or someone that isn't really who you want to be. And then how scary it must be to take that first step into the light to be like, all right, is anybody going to listen? Like, is anybody going to, you know, hear me? Um, So I commend you for the, you know, for the bravery that it took to take that step in. And I appreciate that, you know, conformity is, uh, is a product of colonization, essentially, especially for the South Asian uh, population. You know, we were told to conform to the British at the time. And, you know, being white was being powerful, was being successful. So the closer you were to whiteness, the more likely you were to get ahead in life. And that is a narrative that has been passed down through the generations, mostly for survival. But now, you know, in 2020, um, you know, I'm 37 years old. I have been born and raised in Canada. I don't need to follow that narrative anymore. I need to break the cycle. And I am encouraging others to start really reflecting on that and how it's impacted their lives and how they can start breaking that cycle because now we're parents and these are traits that we don't want to be passing down to our kids. I want my kids to be seen, to feel like they're seen and they're heard and that they matter. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, I think that's totally beautiful. And I think, you know, mo, you know, as a parent thinking myself, like, you know, I don't know if it's just, maybe it's just something that clicks in our brains when we become parents where it's like, you know, prior to kids, it was like, do, 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 you know, just like live in the struggle. And then it was like, I have this kid. And now it's like this motivation of like trying to become better. And like, I don't know, for me, it's always felt like self-improvement, self-improvement. How can I do this better? Recognizing patterns handed down from my parents. It's like, how do I not pass, you know, how do I not pass these things on? Absolutely. You mentioned um, that like the narrative and like feeling like, you know, there's women, you know, new moms of your culture that want to relate to the cultural context. And, you know, I wanted to maybe find out, you know, what are some cultural contexts that are part of your culture that may be different than the um, like sort of white female narrative, like as it relates to either fitness or motherhood or pelvic health, like what are some things that are different that need to be represented? I think it comes down to uh, 
you know, what's shown in the media, because the typical image we see is of a white mother who is happy or even struggling, perhaps, with motherhood, early motherhood, um, you know, you name it. There's so many things that we could talk about when it comes to that specific topic, but the image is of a white woman. And when it comes to fitness and, you know, the narrative around that in general is bounce back culture right? We need to lose the baby weight. We need to bounce back. We need to look like we never had children. And this is something that's internalized. Um, whether it doesn't matter what background you're from, I feel like all women have experienced that kind of pressure. And the, when it comes down to the cultural aspect, the challenges that we face are different in that our community cares for mothers in a different way. And so when, you know, as a first generation Canadian, I'm hearing on one side what the white narrative is in North America, which is, you know, you should go on a meal plan that is very Eurocentric. You should do these, um, this type of workout and, you know, just get back to your body. Okay. That does great. And then when you look at the cultural aspect, it's, you know, there's a big focus on rest for mothers. There is a big focus on nourishing foods that are, you know, probably date back to like Ayurvedic um, uh, times when, you know, we eat warming foods like ghee, lots of fats and seeds. Uh, and, you know, the mother should be resting and healing Um and not moving really, <laughs> you know, my mother told me, she's like, you shouldn't, you should be laying straight for 40 days. And I was like, right, but I also need to take a shower. You know? yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can't sit straight for that long. Um, and also she wasn't with me for 40 days. So um, caring for an infant requires a lot more movement. And so when you have such extremes, you know, as a first generation Canadian, I'm trying to figure out like, where is the balance? you know, what's right and what's wrong. And I went down that path of meal planning four days a week of strength training to get my body back. And what I found when I went down that road was my mental health suffered uh, because it was already, um, you know, something that I was dealing with, with anxiety and depression. And it tipped me over the edge when I was constantly thinking about how much food I was consuming and what my body looked like after my second child. And so I think there needs to be, you know, that representation in the middle of like, you can honor your ancestors, you can honor your traditions, and you don't have to follow the North American narrative. If you want to, you can, you have choices. There is no right and wrong. It's only what's right for you and your body. And when it comes to cultural taboos, we know traditionally South Asian families, we don't talk about sex. We don't talk about body parts. Um, you know, growing up, I didn't have these talks with my parents. And so pelvic health never came up. I didn't even know about my pelvic floor until I had my first kid. Uh, and when I, when I was pregnant with my second, I really took a deep dive. And even now, when I speak about the pelvic floor, the importance of managing your health around that aspect of your body during pregnancy and postpartum. There's still so many women that come to me, especially who are South Asian, who are just like, man, we never talked about this stuff. Why is no one talking about this stuff? And it, everything is just normalized. You know, you, you pee a little, that's normal. You had a baby. Um, that's the narrative, or you just don't speak about it and you keep it to yourself. And when Mothers in particular are suffering in silence. It only adds to, you know, 
their risk of increased postpartum depression um, and anxiety. And, you know, I think the whole, the narrative around motherhood in general is that we really need to start speaking up about the reality of motherhood, um, you know, in, in mainstream media and normalize these conversations. Absolutely. 100%. I mean, I've had various discussions, you know, on this podcast about bouncing back culture. Um, There's, you know, the research is starting to like tip in the direction of like, you know, the fourth trimester, right, which is the three months postpartum. So obviously, like, you know, culturally and like dating back, they obviously knew some, you know, there there was an inherent wisdom, I think, in the old ways, I guess you could say, of taking care of self, allowing for rest and rejuvenation, allowing for that connection with baby, not being overwhelmed because it's already overwhelming, mm-hmm. right? Um, going from never having a child to all of a sudden caring for this human is 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 a major shift on top of which we also are shifting from being, you know, this person to now I'm a mother and myself and I'm different than I was before I gave birth. Yeah. It's like a grief process mm-hmm. that I agree we don't talk enough about. Um, and, you know, when I think, so I, I'm, a, I'm an anthropology major in my, uh, in my bachelor degree. And so we talked a lot about like different cultural rituals and how we used to, you know, come together as community and celebrate, you know, these quote unquote, you know, rites of passage, right? Because I think there was this inherent wisdom that like these things are beautiful, but they're also challenging and we need to come together and be supportive of each other. Um, And I feel like, that's a major thing just generally like in a modern culture, we've sort of lost a lot of that. And so, yeah, when women are silent and they're not talking about it, they feel alone. Is it just happening to me? Did something bad happen? Which then creates a stress response. So I definitely feel like there needs to be a lot more conversation and certainly a lot more conversation around women's health just across the spectrum, but having it represented, you know, in various ways so that people feel like they can relate and feel like they can talk about it. Absolutely. And, you know, the, it really highlights, you know, the saying it takes a village. It really does take a village. And when we look at, you know, a family like mine, where my mother supported me so much, I'm so grateful that she was able to spend time at my home taking care of me and my baby when my daughter was born. Um, And so there's a big celebration and a, a lot of joy and a lot of love when there's a new baby. So the village is very happy. And when we're not talking about the mother's mental health, that's when the isolation begins because you can be surrounded by family or not surrounded by anyone at all. But if you're suffering on your own and you're unable to speak about it or ask questions about why your body feels a certain way or certain things are happening, 
um, that's where the isolation, I think, really starts to set in. And that's when the suffering and silence becomes part of the stigma is that, well, you should be happy. You have all the support. You have a loving family. You have a beautiful baby. What are you upset about? Mm. And, you know, for somebody who's been through postpartum depression, there really is no, <laughs> there's no explanation for why these things happen. They, they just do. And, you know, some of us are at higher risk for that, but, and certainly other factors um, are, are, you know, increase that risk, but it's unexplainable for most people. And so we need to be able to not only talk about the joy, but we also need to be talking talking about the the darker aspect of it and the more challenging pieces of, you know, how is the mother feeling how, mentally? How is she doing physically? How is she doing? And what does she really need other than, you know, being fed? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually a, a really good point to bring up because, you know, I think there's also this probably some self reflections being like, you know, have all this support. I'm so lucky. I'm so all of these things. And yet I still feel this way. What's wrong with me. Right. It's like, how, how, you know, how could you feel like this? And I feel like that doesn't help when your own narrative jumps in and it's like, what is your, you know, what is your problem? Why are you so, and, and you're right. I think certainly we need to change the narrative that you can have all the P's and Q's in place. You could have everything you've ever wanted around you. And yet there still could be something inside that doesn't feel the way it needs to be. And that we shouldn't know. We should be aware and recognize and have an open space for that conversation to figure out what's the best next step in support. Yes. So I wanted to ask you, you know, what, you know, having gone through that experience yourself, you know, having all this support, having, having help, you know, yes, being joyful of the birth of your child, you know, what are some, what are some ways that men, maternal mental health could be better supported? You know, there's um, a lot to be said about accessibility and resources um, and really when we look at the number of appointments a baby has versus the number of appointments a mother has postpartum, mm. I think that's enough uh, to say we need to, we need to care for mothers um, in a much more holistic way and um, pay more attention. And so it begins, I think with healthcare practitioners, um, you know, are you checking in with your clients or your patients rather? Or are you in it? And I think the way that we approach that too is like, how's your mental health? Like <laughs> I'm in a sterile room, you know, you're going to be looking up my badge. Do I really want to be talking about how I'm really doing right now? Probably not. So we, there's a lot of things we need to consider there and, you know, maybe providing educational resources to say like, here's some reading for you to do in case you need to speak to somebody, here are some resources you know, and just really gently approaching that. And that also comes down to community. And, you know, for, for me, I was really, really lucky. Um, and I still am, I have, I have a close knit network of mums um, that I connect with pretty much daily. They're my people. And, you know, we check in with each other and we know that this is a real thing that mental health can be impacted. And so my friends saw what was happening. They understood. And so the check-ins were happening. 
Mm-hmm. How are you today? Do you need anything? And so this is something that we can do for people that we know that have given birth or are pregnant. And it doesn't mean, you know, they have to be like six weeks postpartum. Maybe they're six months postpartum. Check in. It's a simple, how are you doing? Can I support you with anything? And sharing those resources, uh, whether they're free or, or they're paid for services to help you know, give options really is, is what it comes down to. What options are available to this person and to get them the support that they need and really making them feel like there's nothing actually wrong with them yeah. and that there's help available, right? And so I think it's fair to say that, you know, friends can only help listen so much before they're unable to actually help you. Um, and that's where I found myself at, at one point last year. I knew that I needed the next step was to get professional support uh, because, Check-ins are wonderful and speaking to friends is wonderful, but it wasn't enough at that point. And my family had no idea. My mother had no idea. My sister had no idea what I was going through because that's just not something we talked about within our family. And so my hope is that my generation um, as mothers, because we're already changing the narrative amongst ourselves, is that we can keep that dialogue open with our children, boys and girls. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, it doesn't matter um, what your family structure is like, I think just keeping the narrative of mental health open and really discussing how you feel and saying that it's okay to feel your feelings, but we can talk about it if you want to talk about it. I think that's a big, I think that's a really big thing to be like accepting feeling what you're feeling and being like, okay, this is, I'm feeling this. And whether, you know, it's justified or not justified, leaving that aside and being like, this is where I'm at right now. And then what is the next best step for me to take to, you know, start addressing it rather than kind of like playing around, like, why am I feeling this? I shouldn't feel this. Like, because that it creates a lot of internal conflict. Mm-hmm. It really, um, really adds to it adds to the heightened feelings. Absolutely. I wanted to ask is you, you know, because you mentioned like your mom and your sister didn't really know what was happening, but your friends kind of were able to see certain signs. Um, you know, what are, what might be potentially some signs that like we as individuals could look out for our friends. Like if we have a friend just given birth, like, is there anything from your experience, like you wish people had picked up on? I'm not sure if I had wished people had picked up on things. Mm. Um, You know, I, I was honest with my friends when I wasn't feeling great. And I think that in itself is a huge thing for a lot of people who are suffering. They're afraid to say that they're not okay. Yeah. Um, or that they're confused about why they don't feel happy about their baby or why they don't feel like they're enough, right? Or their existence doesn't matter. These are really hard topics to mm-hmm. talk about um, and admit really because it, it, you know, for the stigma attached to it is that, well, you're not a good mother <laughs> and we need to just erase all of that, right? Like you're, you are, you are a great parent, whether you are getting support, whether you are going through a difficult time. Um, But it allows me to be a better parent. And because I've been in the space for so long, I'm privileged to be able to recognize that sign in myself when I wasn't okay. And I was able to tell 
my closest friends that I wasn't okay. Mm -hmm. I was not ready to speak to my family about it. Um, And I still think it's just because of the stigma attached to it. And I felt embarrassed speaking to my parent, my family about it. They, they have a better understanding of it now. uh, But back then it was a little bit more challenging. And I think for anyone who is, you know, wondering how their friends or family might be doing, it really is as simple as checking in. If you haven't heard from them in a while, you know, if they've gone silent on social media, but they used to be super active or you used to talk on the regular basis and you haven't heard from them in a while, a simple check-in could make all the difference or, you know, delivering their favorite snack or some groceries for them or some meals for them. Uh, there's a lot of ways we can support, uh, support mothers and, you know, keeping the lines of communication open, you know, um, other signs might be, uh, you know, if you start hearing similar dialogue from them over and over again, um, that they're having really hard days, but they're consistently hard days. Um, they're, mm. they're not feeling like themselves and it's, um, or they're not feeling like they're enough, um, you know, uh, you know, even obsessively thinking about losing baby weight and that they're fixated on that because that they feel like that's the one thing that they can control. Um, and I know that OCD is actually one of the symptoms of um, postpartum. And so, um, you know, just looking for things that are not their usual selves, right? Yeah. Like personality traits or things that they're saying that, you know, they're like, mm, something doesn't feel quite right when you say that. It's just not you. Yeah. And, you know, when you start to see that over and over again, you can start to, you know, put the pieces together that something just may not be feeling right for them. And, you know, reaching out and saying like, how can I support you today? Do you need anything today? I'm out doing errands. Can I bring you anything? Like simple things like that to keep the conversation open and the dialogue open. And it makes sense that you say like, it's not like I wished that people would pick up on my signs because that's, I guess, part of the whole reason we need to talk about it is because of the stigma that's attached to it. We don't want anybody to see the signs. So we, so you're right. You, it makes sense that you would go quiet on social media and it makes sense that you wouldn't be communicating as much. Cause you, you, I, I'm, I'm assuming you had an internal sense that you weren't quite feeling like yourself and you, you know, and I can see how some people might not want others to pick up on, to pick up on that. Right. And they may not even recognize it in themselves. And that's the other thing. And so that's why normalizing this conversation is really important to say if something doesn't quite feel right, trust your intuition. Mm -hmm. You know yourself better than anybody. And we can talk about it. What doesn't feel right? You know, and let's talk about it. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to thank you and appreciate and just appreciate how much, again, courage it takes to step forward and to, you know, be the person talking about it to bring awareness and light to that conversation. I think the more we just talk about it, the more we talk about it, the more we talk about it, the more we talk about it, hopefully the shifts will begin to happen where people will be like, okay, I keep hearing about it. I, I, you know, I, I guess it's safe for me to start talking about it. Right. I want to loop back now to Um, Well, it's not that we're looping too far back, um, but I want to go back to fitness and I want to go talk about like, again, 
sort of diet and weight culture in fitness, um, because we've sort of talked, you know, we've already alluded to this in terms of like that bouncing back mentality um, that I think is just, it's really negatively impacting moms. Um, you know, it's impacting the narrative and the things that we say to our own selves. Um, Cause I've, I even pick up on it myself. Like I kind of look at myself and I'm like, man, you haven't done fitness in a while. Like, you know, you're, 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 you're not where you want, like, you're not the way that you were years ago as a mom. Mm -hmm. And I look at my tummy and I'm like, oh, it's a little stretchier than it was before. Right. So I think, you know, a lot of this bouncing back and you have to like have a certain look Mm -hmm. really drives the self narrative going so, you know, being in the fitness culture, I figured, you know, you could maybe highlight what you think needs to change. A lot. <laughs> You're like, where do I begin? <laughs> yes. How much time do we have? Um, I think it's important to, when we have this conversation around diet culture and the spitting image of what, um, you know, bouncing back should look like. Where, where do these images come from? Why do they exist in the first place? Mm. And I've been doing a lot of learning and unlearning this year in this space. And really, it comes down to these are products of patriarchy and the systems that exist to keep women quiet, to keep them small, to keep them from taking up too much space and, you know, quietly, you know, obsessing over the way that they look. Um, and when we fixate on our self-image, um, our bodies and our size and how we present ourselves, that takes away our power. Yeah. And that's what the patriarchy wants, right? They don't want women stepping into their power. And boy, have we changed that narrative this year. Um, and I think for, you know, Most average moms and listeners who are struggling with body image and wonder, you know, looking at social media and going, wow, like, how did she do that? You know, I think we need to remember that there will be people, especially fitness influencers and the like, who will go to the extremes to shape their bodies and transform them after birth. These are people who have been training for a very long time. And for them to give birth and go back into, you know, restrictive eating or dieting and, you know, weight training or whatever it is that they're doing to achieve a certain look, it's very science-based. And if you want to go to the extreme to transform your body, you can do whatever you want with your body. You know, I won't judge you for that. But the question is, why do you want to do that? And I think for a lot of fitness influencers, they probably feel a pressure to look a certain way. I know Mm -hmm. I certainly did at one point. And, you know, a fitness influencer or a fitness professional is not an average mom who is balancing career, kids, family, you know, they have, they, they do what they do because that is their job. For most of us, that's not the case. Right. And so we need to look at what does health mean to me? What does health look like to me? And if the first thing that you think about is this person's body, Now we know that somewhere along the lines of your life, you've internalized that health equals 
six pack abs, toned arms, small white woman, (laughs) able-bodied as well. And so how do we separate that? So once you become aware of what that image is for you, you have to, we can start to unwind that and and unlearn those patterns and really think about what does health mean to me at 37 years old as a mother and a working professional who is living through a pandemic right now. And we have to think about where, where our balance lies and where our priorities lie and what's important to us. Is it important for me to look like this? Probably not. If it is, if you want to do that, again, like I said, go ahead. Um, but if it isn't, then what does that mean to you? Uh, and, you know, a lot of people say, I want to be strong again. I want to feel strong. So let's explore what does being strong mean to you? Does it mean chasing your kids? Does it mean being able to hit a PR with the weights? Does it mean simply getting through your days without lower back pain? And I'm yeah. sure you see a lot of this. Like, it is sometimes the most... I, I don't even want to say simple things, but it is sometimes the most, the smallest things that can transform our day-to-day living to be like, to move pain-free is liberating in and itself. And when you take that step to say, I want to move pain-free, I don't want to pee my pants anymore. I don't want to feel like something's going to fall out of my body. These are, these are great milestones to work towards. These are also considered goals. And when you reach them, they are considered successes. Absolutely. And whether your weight fluctuates as a byproduct of that doesn't really matter. Yeah, it's interesting because I think you're right in the sense of like, you know, there are individuals who their main goals is to have that six-pack ab and have a certain particular type of physique. But we also have to understand that they do a lot to get there. Mm-hmm. Right. Like they dedicate a lot of time, a lot of energy to figure out how they have to eat. They exercise really, really hard. Like they, you know, they they have to do things to to get there. Right. And not everybody's journey is that. But that shouldn't be the pinnacle of what healthy is, because sometimes individuals are very unhealthy mm-hmm. getting to that physique. Um that again, we don't see what's on the underside of that, right? Because they're not showing that on Instagram. Absolutely. Their mental health could be impacted. And we have to remember that these, um, these kinds of uh, regiments that they follow are very Eurocentric. Yeah. And so, you know, speaking as somebody who did the whole meal plan, four-day-a-week training regimen to lose the baby weight last year, I was at my mom's house and she was cooking amazing food for me and I was scared to eat it. And that was kind of a turning point for me. It's like, I should be enjoying this because I'm not going to be able to enjoy my mother's cooking forever. And I shouldn't have to feel bad about eating cultural foods. Yeah. That are inherently good for me. They are good for me. But, you know, but all I could think about was how many carbs were in there. And, you know, I... I don't want to think about carbs when I'm eating my mom's homemade roti. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I need to separate the two. And yeah. I think for a lot of people, and this is where the representation piece comes in is that when you have cultural traditions and foods, they're not represented in mainstream, you know, diet culture either. And so they be all, they all of a sudden they become bad. Yeah. 
And now, and we end up losing more of ourselves to that. And that ultimately is a part of white supremacy, right? The further away we are from all cultures, the more whiteness, the more like likeness to whiteness that we are, um, you know, that's what, that's what they wanted. And so yeah. let's find our way back to our roots. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because in my, you know, various anthropological courses and things of that nature, looking at foods, um, you know, a lot of it was, um, because I also had a minor in indigenous studies. So indigenous peoples of Canada, um, you know, we were looking at foods and, you know, the uh, diabetes epidemic, and we were talking about, you know, the, the foods that we were, were bringing are not local, right? Like we have certain bacterias and microbiomes and we have certain ways that our body works with the foods that are local, to us. And when we start substituting foods that we're not used to, our bodies may not be able to process it the same way. So to say that you're eating too, too much carb in your rice, well, like, or whatever it is, it, you know, I don't think that we can make that extraction to say, well, this is healthy. And that is, that is not, I think everybody has their own built-in mechanisms and, and it'll be different also for every person as well. Some people can handle meat. Some people can't handle meat, Absolutely. you know, eating vegetarian, like, you know, you think eating vegetarian is better than something else. Right. And so I think we're attaching too much. Maybe we're attaching too many morals to like, whether it's good or bad, it's like, what feels good? Like what helps you feel nourished? and energized yes. mm -hmm. when you eat it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's, what's working for me. And I think that's, I think there, there's a lot of um, talk about intuitive eating now. And I think that's worth exploring for anyone that might be struggling with their relationship for, with food, uh, especially from a cultural standpoint, uh, because you're going back to yourself, your intuition. And yeah. again, your body, your body knows what it needs. Yeah, or I think I've heard it um, coined like mindful eating mm -hmm. as well, right? Where you're just yes. taking the time to like be really present. Yes. With, like, what you are doing, what you are eating, how you're eating it and how it makes you feel. Yeah. So I think that's a good place to be like, is like really coming back to, and maybe that's, that's one of the things, you know, that was taken or one of the things that has been like tried to keep women on the down low is like us trusting our intuition and trusting ourselves. Yes. 100%. Where it's at a point where we can't even trust our own selves to make decisions about our food. Yes. We could talk about this all day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We're looking, we're looking for the next best coach to tell us what to eat. Yeah. Or the next best dietitian. It's yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting journey making it back to yourself. Mm-hmm. And recognizing that inherently we're all good enough. We're more than good enough. Right? Like when you really take it down to the core of being present in this world, we are good enough. We don't always Absolutely. get it right. That doesn't mean that us making a mistake and not getting it right makes us less than. Absolutely. As a person in existence. So... 
Um, so I have a question related to like boundaries, you know, how do we as women set better boundaries? I, you know, I remember seeing this question in, in your email and I was like, Oh, this is a good question. (laughs) So I, I talk about boundaries with my clients when it comes to exercise, um, and movement And because the number one thing I hear is, well, you know, the kids were around and I just, I couldn't fit it in and I didn't have the time. And my response is never, oh, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. Never. Um, It is, that is okay. Your family will be around. Your schedule will change. Life is going to happen. But how much can you continue to keep going like this without setting that time for yourself to unwind, to take a break for your brain, really. I mean, if, you know, for most parents, like sitting in silence is like, (laughs) it's like a vacation, Um, even if it's for five minutes. And so this is how we set boundaries. And so, you know, I encourage my clients to work out around your kids. This is how we start setting boundaries. Mummy is going to do her workout. You can play. And if you need something or if you need help, you can ask me. Yep. And we're, it's okay to, to tell them that if they're old enough to understand, can you wait until I'm finished? And then I can help you with this or I can get that snack for you. Toddlers, different story. But, you know, I've been working out at home since I had my son. It's been six years. And my daughter is almost two. And even now, like, she is used to seeing me work out at home. And they know. They inherently know that this is something that mommy does. They play with my equipment. They join in sometimes or they find something else to do. And honestly, if it takes a few snacks and some screen time also, I am comfortable with just letting them do that so that I can get something done for myself. And for me, it means supporting my mental health and mental clarity. And this is a piece I find a lot of people struggle with is asking for help, Mm. saying that I need help. And even just claiming that time as women, we are the first ones to step back. We are the first ones to step in to say, it's okay. I'll take care of it. Um, And, oh, I'll just do my stuff later. We will always reorganize our lives for the sake of our families. And we see that with the pandemic and like the, the unemployment rates with women right now too, right? We see it everywhere. And so this is an almost an easy first step to say, instead of asking for it and say, you know what? I'm going to go downstairs or go upstairs or wherever, and I am going to work out for 30 minutes. All of you will be okay. (laughs) (laughs) Be fine. Fingers crossed. If I smell anything burning, I will run up the stairs or down the stairs. But otherwise, generally speaking, you'll be okay. If there's a fire, you call me. If something's burning, you know, the other adult in the household can take care of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so like it really, and it is, and this is really hard for people to do. So I understand that. So start small, say, I'm going to stand outside for five minutes and take some deep breaths so that I can regroup. Yes. And honestly, that transition of five minutes can refresh your mind and it can bring you from a 10 down to a one. And, you know, allow us to practice a little bit more patience and to get through our days, which right now are just, they're just all over the place, right? Nobody has any predictability with with life right now. So these are small things that we can do um, to start creating those boundaries. Absolutely. 
On the note of boundaries, um, what's, I guess, because when we talk about fitness, we talk about like, you know, what's the healthiest way to be fit? You know, what's the best way to be fit? Um, And I think maybe we need to some, you know, sometimes we need to create healthy boundaries in our own mind about fitness Mm -hmm. and like reframing fitness. Any thoughts on that? I like this question. Um, I think it's easy to fall into, you know, something that is very regimented and, you know, depending on your goals. So what does healthy and active and strong look and feel like for you? Doesn't matter what your neighbor is doing. It doesn't matter what Karen on social media is doing. You know, it it comes down to what works for you. And I am a big uh, you know, pusher of strength training for various reasons, but that doesn't mean it's going to be right for everybody. And it's going to be something that they enjoy. My goodness, we have to enjoy movement. If we hate doing our workouts, then what is the point? Because our body won't respond to it. And so I think it comes down to what does it look like and feel like for you? And then we can figure out the rest. And there are so many resources now with everyone who pivoted online um, from dance classes to YouTube yoga that, you know, that's pretty easily accessible to finding a coach um, that aligns with your values and that can help you get to that next step, depending on what your goals are. And things can change. So I've never really been a gym kind of weight lifting. Like that's just not how fitness has played a role in my life. And my, the way that I like to be fit is usually through some sort of an activity, whether it be like ballroom dancing for a while and then pivoting and changing into martial arts. Like the, because those things have components of strengthening, endurance, cardio, that was just usually my preference of how I like to do things. Now, in the process of being in martial arts, you know, and it's like, oh, you know, like I want to be able to take this to the next level. And like, oh, you know, I see certain people that I have difficulty like sparring with and I can't seem to like get that greater edge. Then, you know, then this motivation of like, well, maybe if I had a little bit more like muscle, just a little bit more muscle and my muscle was a little bit more toned. And then I started bringing in some weight training and like some resistance band training, not, not because I figured like, oh, I absolutely have to. It was because it was working me toward another goal. So sometimes these things can find, you know, fitness and it changes over time, depending on what your needs are. And then you might enjoy it. But if somebody was like, you need to go to a gym. Well, I have no interest in stepping into a gym and having people watch me while I'm working out. I got like my own privacy. Right. But but that didn't mean that I wasn't ever going to strengthen train ever. It just meant that it, it had to come into my life in a different, in a different way, but it starts with like, what works for you? And then you can build from there. Yeah. And we don't have to focus on, you know, that four day strength training split that like, you know, weightlifters do, you know, it's okay. If you just do 15 minutes of yoga today and you take a walk tomorrow and then maybe, you know, maybe three weeks from now, you want to, you want to try doing a little bit of weight. It's like, that's exactly it. It's what, what season of life are you in and what is going to work for you right now? 
and schedule. Like we all have yes. been saying, like, I don't have my fit. Like I don't have my martial arts right now because it's a full contact sport that you cannot do with a mask on. Exactly. Yeah. Gyms right? yeah. <laughs> like I, I can't, I just, I literally cannot do that. So, you know, what can I do instead? And am I as consistent as I was when I attended class? No. Why? Because I'm at home and life happens, right? <laughs> Going to the class was like, okay, you know, it was like a thing and it was, I had accountability and it was like this break that I got. So it's going to change depending on your life circumstances. Oh, for sure. And, and you know, for okay. anyone that was as consistent as you, maybe they were going to martial arts or to the gym, you had that boundary set. So there's, you know, so we can set those boundaries at home as well. We may not be packing up and going for an hour, but we can figure out how to set some sort of boundary at home. Even with the kids at home, we can figure it out. And it's really just sitting down and, and really allowing that to happen. And it's not going to be perfect. I think we have to accept that yeah. there will be days when the kids have meltdowns and it's just not going to happen. And that's totally okay. And I think the consistency around making making your priorities just as important as everybody else's in the family and saying so and highlighting that and demonstrating that I think over time is when, you know, when it starts to really settle in for everybody and it becomes more of a normal thing. Absolutely. I wanted to ask a final question, which is, you know, obviously You've had to make some pivots on, you know, pivots online. Um, so, you know, if this message is resonating with people and people want to start, maybe they want to reach out, maybe they want to see what you're up to, where, where do people find you? Where can they follow you? Where can they work out with you? They can find me on Instagram. That's where I'm most active. And my handle is my name. So it's at it's Rena Parikh. And for more information on online coaching, you can visit my website at renapark.com. Wonderful. And we will post the link in the show notes so you don't have to worry about getting the spelling correct. And we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. It'll be in the um, episode description. So it makes it easy for you to connect with Rena. I want to thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Well, thanks so much for having me. I could talk about this stuff all day. So <laughs> it, was, uh, it was great. Thank you. Well, unfortunately, if we only had all day, we would definitely continue going. But I think, you know, hopefully we've hit on some, you know, good points and hopefully people have gotten um, some value out of it. And if anything, you know, at least feeling like they're not alone. Absolutely. If they're experiencing these various things and... Um, can, you know, reach out if they have, if they have questions or want to connect. So um, on that note, thank you so much. Thank you. And of course, want to thank our listeners for joining us every week. Um, as you know, or, or don't know, every week is a different guest, different topic. Um, we would love for you to join us every week. And you can do that by subscribing to the podcast. Um, and of course, sharing out episodes. Um, we post uh, all the podcast info on our Instagram handle, um, which is at living a better life podcast. Um, so on that note, I say goodbye and we'll see, well, we won't see you, but hopefully we'll be connecting with you um, through audio on the next episode. Bye for now. 
Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.